All right, Father, I love you. I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for uh, being good to us. God, I thank you for the changing of the seasons and uh, really just uh, being able to get out and uh, get more done. Uh, Lord, just uh, pray that the things that we are doing are glorifying to you. Uh, too often we can get busy with things uh, and activities and uh, even uh, ministry at times, Lord, and we kind of just leave you out of it. So I do pray that no matter what we're doing, um, we really are focusing on how we can bring you glory in it. And so, uh, Lord, I pray you just speak to us today. Uh, as we uh, jump back into uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, we're going to have a couple week break here, um, Lord, but I do pray that uh, the things that uh, you've got here at the beginning of um, chapter 4, that we would just uh, take these things and make sure that we really do know them. A lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is stuff that um, a lot of these uh, folks have heard maybe even several times, but uh, it is important to make sure that we do understand these things. So I pray that uh, they wouldn't fall on deaf ears, uh, Lord, that it would come across clear and concise, and that... Uh, uh, we would just uh, all walk away edified because of it. So I pray you just speak today uh, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, we're just going to hit like a couple of verses today, and we're really not even going to hit so much of the verses, but we're going to hit what they are talking about. And so uh, title today, uh, and we're not talking about Scooby-Doo, but uh, title today is God's Mystery Machine. Um, and uh, ruh raggy. raggy uh, <laughs> Anyway, so First uh, Corinthians chapter four. We know that the book of First Corinthians is uh, a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth that he had went and uh, kind of started there, and then he had started hearing uh, over time that things weren't going so well there. That uh, there were some sin issues. There were a lot of different things, and so the first. Uh, three chapters, he's addressed some of those things, and the biggest thing that he's been hitting on is, you know, why are you following men, you know, no matter what man, whether it's uh, Paul or Apollos or Cephas or any of these guys, like, why are you following men? Why are you too, why are you too focused on the guy and not the guy, Christ Jesus? And so that's kind of what he's been hitting on, and he's, he's went at it from different ways, and so we spent a lot of time in chapter 3, and then we get to chapter 4, and uh, at the very beginning... And I'm just going to read the first couple of verses because there's no reason to try to get too started into this. And then when we come back in three weeks, you're going to be like, what book are we in? Like, I know y'all, so I know how this works. So anyway, First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, he just gets done really, really beaten on this nail of stop following men. Stop following men. There's nothing you can do. Uh, there is no wisdom other than God. Stop following their wisdom. Follow God's wisdom. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 1, he says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so he goes on, and he really doesn't talk too much about the mysteries anymore, and he doesn't talk too much about any of this, but he references them. And you need to make sure you understand that as you read through this, you understand what he's talking about. And he says, let a man so account of us, meaning uh, let a man, that another way you could kind of, put this is is judge us uh measure us up you know you when we call it accounting because we're making sure everything reconciles everything is even keel you don't ever like to sit down at the end of the month or however often you do it and reconcile your bank account and for whatever reason the bank says you have way less than what you think you have right that's never good and so uh you know it's also never good if you think if the bank thinks you have more, because I'm promised they're going to come back for it. It doesn't work that way. And so, anyway, uh, so, but the point, he says, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. And so, when you've got kids, and so I, I look around the room, and everybody in here uh, either has kids, has dealt a lot with kids, uh, different things. And so, uh, 
you know, if you've got younger children, maybe not even so much younger, but, you know, up until maybe the teen years, right? And, and you know, maybe a kid does something wrong and you're like, hey, you need to not do that. You need to stop hitting your brother. You need to stop doing this to your sister. You need to stop acting like this to your... You need to quit doing that, right? And, and what is the first response that you almost always get from them, right? It could be a lot of things, but... Did you see what they did, right? Did you see what they did to me first, right? Or did you, what I did was not nearly as bad as what they did, right? And so you, you really should be talking to them. And uh, you know, we we learned at a young age, and I say we because uh, we all did the same thing, right? I can remember a lot of times my mom coming and asking me something. I'm like, "Did you see what Brad did? Like, you need to not even look at me. I'm like the angel child compared to this guy." So, uh, and ask him, he'll tell you the same thing. Uh, but we try to shift the blame, right? We might hold a lot of the blame, but we try to shift it along to somebody else. Because if somebody else can take more of the brunt of it, you know, it, it'll be better for us. Well, as we grow, this continues to grow with us. But instead of shifting the blame or shifting it to someone else, we pick up this new tactic. And we learn this uh, in our early teen years and really uh, throughout life, we really perfect this thing. But uh, we, we learn this new uh, tactic of, you know, we say, who, who are you to judge me anyway, right? You know, somebody wants to try to correct you, somebody wants to try to uh, learn you something, and you're like, who are you to judge me? Like, uh, who, do you see what you do in your life? And, you know, the boss tries to say something to you, or you're know, like, who are, you're no better than I am, right? And, and it always leads to, if you really get into somebody with it, uh, the inevitable, only God can judge me, so stop trying, right? Only God, I mean, I love it when people are like, only God can judge me. I'm like, you know what, that's absolutely right. And there's a time coming that that's going to happen. You want to know what that's going to be like, right? And so the only God can judge me. And so Paul knew after... And there weren't chapters at the time he was writing this, but at this point in the letter to the church at Corinth, there hasn't been a lot of nice words going on other than rebuke. And so Paul knew that something like this was coming. So he addresses it before he goes any further. You know, before I go any further into the things that we need to talk about, y'all not doing life right, and you're in sin, and you're doing all these different things, he's like, we need to address this before it goes any further. Uh, But he says that if you're going to, He doesn't say this, but he really does kind of say this in what he's saying here. He says, if you're going to try and judge me, then go ahead and do it by how my stewards. I'll give you a standard to judge me by, right? Something that we're all going to be judged by. How's your stewardship been? He says, if you want to judge me, if you want to measure me up, you want to count of how I'm doing, let's do it of something godly, right? Let's not act like, you know... Well, what about you? Well, what about you, Paul? And what, what about what you're doing? And, you know, he, he says, let's, let's go by something here. And so when I say stewardship, what am I talking about, right? And so some of you guys have heard a lot of this before, but stewardship of what? What, what has God left us in this dispensation to steward? And it says it clearly in the Word of God. The mysteries, right? The mysteries of the Word of God. We are to steward the Word of God. We are to take care of it. We are to protect it. And that doesn't mean like, you know, go to, to fighting because somebody doesn't use the same Bible that we use. I would love to sit down and talk to anybody about it, but it is our job. We are stewards of the Word of God. And so, you know, that's what we are stewards. And so, stewards of what? And it's the mysteries. And so, a lot of you... Stewards. Stewards, yeah. The stewards. <laughs> I thought maybe that's how I was saying it, and I'm like, oh, great, now I'm going to have this, like, complex every time I try to say something. <laughs> yeah, so no, uh, so when I say the mysteries, a lot of you guys have either been through uh, D2, we really talk about this extensively in D2, um, but maybe you haven't, and so I'm going to just run down these today, that way you at least know what they are, 
Uh, and this is a, a shameless plug because if you haven't been through D2 and you're qualified, you really should. There's no reason that you shouldn't. Uh, that's on you. And so anyway, uh, and, and honestly, if you've heard this a lot of times, you probably need to hear it again because uh, if you're like Paul, uh, you need to understand that we will be judged by the way that we stewarded these things. So uh, a healthy reminder of what these mysteries are uh, is going to be good for us. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today before we really get into what he's talking about in, in chapter 4. I want to talk about what he's, he says, We are stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's re- re- required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We have to be faithful with these things. If, if somebody gave you something and they were like, Hey, this is my most prized, well, let's just say it's Jody, right? And so right now Jody's uh, the chicken whisperer, right? Praise the Lord that my wife has passed this title on to Jody, right? And so she's got all these chickens. So like Jody could be like, hey, we're going to go on vacation. Can you please take care of my most prized chicken? And she's saying this to anybody other than my wife because we won't be asked to do that. We are not the chicken whisperers anymore. Anyway, uh, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is really important, right? You know, where else are you going to get a chicken like this? And, you know, you're going to try to take care of it, no matter what it is. And I'm just using that as, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, somebody goes on vacation, they're like, hey, can you take care of my, my kids? It's like, okay, you know, our kids, they'll, they'll be put on the back burner. For, we got to make sure we take care of these kids, right? And uh, you're a steward. You are, uh, you're responsible. Well, God's like, hey, you're responsible for these things. These things in the Word of God that we're going to talk about, you're responsible for these things. And how are you doing uh, with your stewardship of them? And so, uh, what is a mystery in the Bible? Before we go any farther, like if if we're talking about a mystery, and we're going to talk about seven of them, and we're not going to get super in-depth, but when I talk about like, hey, there are seven mysteries in the Bible, what is that? Right, basically something that that God is trying to get done that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament that He did go ahead and reveal to the church in the New Testament. It is a hidden truth which is is revealed in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, flip over to to Romans. We're going to do a little flipping today. Um, uh, Romans chapter 16 kind of talks about this in in verse 25 and 26, or I can just read it to you. But uh, it says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to this, or according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. These things were available the entire time, but they were kept secret until now. Verse 26, But now is made perfect. Now would be the New Testament. Now that Christ has came, and now we're in this dispensation. But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandments of the everlasting, God uh, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Right? He says there were things in the Old Testament that God was trying to get done that really uh, didn't become fulfilled until the New Testament. They were referenced. And so that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see the seven mysteries of the Bible, just so you guys can have them. A lot of you guys, like I said, have heard this, and that's okay. It's okay to hear something more than once. Um, but at the same time, some of you guys might be like, I don't know what the world you're talking about. Okay, well, th- this won't be the first. This won't be the last time you hear it. Okay, and so uh, we got to get through all seven of them. So I'm just going to reference them. Maybe give you a couple of verses. And if you're like, I really want to understand that a little bit better, uh, sign up for D2. We go through these in depth because these are important uh, in in D2. And so, uh, and if you can't wait that long, uh, come over and we'll talk about them at home. But uh, we don't have time to stretch this into any more than one week. So the seven mysteries of the Bible. So the first one. And they're in no particular order, okay? But the first mystery that we're going to talk about is the mystery of God in the flesh. The mystery of God in the flesh. First Timothy, First um, Timothy, chapter three, in verse sixteen, he says, uh, Timothy says, um, 
in verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into the glory. And so this was, this was a mystery because when you try to talk about any of these things, if you try to talk to lost people about these things, they're like, yeah, you, whatever, you're like, totally whacked out on the Jesus juice, right? Like, you've been, we were at the ball game last night, and uh, they were whacked out on some kind of juice, I'm telling you. It's, uh, there, were, there were some guys, it's just like, man, wow. Like, the fact that I used to act like this is just crazy. And there were, I, I have a story, but I'm not going to tell it. And it's just like, anyway, it's just crazy. But anyway, if you try to explain some of these things to the lost world, they're going to be like, I mean, whatever, you can think what you want to think, but that's, that's crazy. So you try to tell the lost world that, hey, um, Jesus came and he lived on the earth, and they're like, okay, fine, right? You can tell most uh, world religions that he came, and they'll be like, yeah, he was a prophet. But to try to explain to them that he came, and he was not just a man while he was here, but he was all God and all man at the same time, and trying to get your head wrapped around the fact that Jesus was all man, okay, well, yeah, he was... He was man enough to feel pain, to be hungry, to be thirsty, all of the things. To, it says the, in the Word of God that he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities, meaning he went anything that you have felt, he felt while he was here. Betrayal, all of those things. He was all man, but yet at the same time, he was all God. That's, that's how he was able to be all man, yet sinless. And so understanding that is kind of hard to do. He was, he was all God and all man all at the same time. And trying to explain that to the lost world... It's like, that is a mystery, because how do you do that? You try to tell a lost person that, you know, you you can try your best to live a sinless life, but you can't even make it, you know, a day, and they can try to tell you you're crazy, but, I mean, the truth is in the in the pudding, right? How, do you, how are you living? And so the fact that Jesus was all man and all God all at the same time, he was manifest in the flesh, that was a mystery. That was something that... They said in the Old Testament it was going to happen, but it didn't really happen and wasn't fulfilled until the New Testament. And really, um, each one of these things, if you don't understand them correctly, um, religion in the world uh, or atheism or whatever you want to call it, will try to uh, tear down our core beliefs by these things. And so if you don't believe this to be true, if this mystery isn't stewarded well, what's going to happen? They're going to say, well, Jesus wasn't really God. He was just a guy. Right? So if, if this mystery isn't preserved, then at the end of the day, Jesus is going to be just another guy. Right? Islam is going to tell you that he was a good prophet. Right? Islam will even tell you that he was born of a virgin, but yet he wasn't God. And he didn't come to say the sin of the world. Like, how does that work out? Right? He's he just halfway. And so the point is, if we don't preserve this mystery, Jesus won't be God. And Jesus has to be God because he is God. He is Christ. He is all of those things, right? That's where the Trinity comes from. So that's the first mystery, is the mystery of God in the flesh. The second mystery that we're going to talk about is the mystery of Christ in the church. You've probably heard this one. Ephesians chapter 5 references this pretty heavily. This is the marriage chapter. I'm going to read through a passage here. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Um, shameless plug, we're going to go through a marriage series uh, probably towards the end of July. I'm going to have some more details on that coming up, but we'll be looking at some of this stuff extensively. But uh, it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, 
Even as Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so that the wives be their own husbands, husband, love your wives, even as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it uh, should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and lover, uh, father and mother, and, and, and sorry, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall uh, too shall be one flesh. This is this is a great mystery. So this entire thing has been leading to what he's talking about. We read this and we're like, oh yeah, it's all about marriage, and it is. It's a really good picture. But here's where the picture comes to fruition. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the husband and the wife. That's not what he's talking about. It's a good picture, but he says, I speak concerning Christ and the church, right? This whole thing that I've been talking about is a picture of what Christ and the church is going to look like. We will be, now when I say we, I'm talking about born-again believers. If you're lost in here, you're not in this category. Uh, If you're a Jew in here uh, and you're lost, you're not in this category. But uh, we're talking about the the body of Christ, those who are saved from the time that uh, Jesus resurrected until the rapture, right? The body of Christ, the church age. We will be the bride of Christ, so that would make us what right now? If, if we are going to be the bride of Christ, married to Christ, we are what? We are what? We're the church, but we are, we're engaged, right? When, when you have somebody that are like, this is going to be my bride, this is going to be my husband on said date, right? We can say betrothed, whatever, like, but you, you, the world calls that we are engaged. You are, uh, you are basically spoken for. Well, guess what? You are, you are spoken for as a Christian. You are spoken for because Christ said, this is something that's coming and it's going to happen. The, the what? The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to happen. You know, when the rapture happens, we go up and the first thing that happens is the judgment seat of Christ, which is for saved people where we get judged for everything we did on the, the earth, right? And that's when we get our glorified body. So the first thing that happens after that, and I'm, sp- I'm talking about a lot of different things, but is what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. That is where all this comes to fruition, right? We will be the bride of Christ. And so something else just to, to kind of have in your mind, and again, we can talk about this in, in D2 if you want to get it next year, but the church is the bride of Christ, but Israel is the bride of God the Father, right? Throughout the entire Bible, we'll talk about this in a different mystery uh, a little more, but throughout the entire Bible... God has a purpose for Israel, right? Israel is the, the bride of God the Father. The church is... Uh, um, somebody make some room for the guy. He's like coming in and... You know, it's all good. Uh, so we are the bride of Christ. So that leaves the question because somebody always puts two and two together that's actually listening. What does that mean for a Jew, and uh, uh, somebody of the nation of Israel, who actually gets saved in the church age, right? Well... I guess you're the bride of two different people because the Bible says you are the bride of God the Father, but you're also the bride of Christ. And so just put two and two together before somebody actually asks the question because that's what that means. And so uh, that is the mystery of Christ in the church. Try to explain that to a lost person. Try to explain that to somebody that, hey, uh, when I get raptured out of here, and they're like, what? Well, that's a different mystery. When I get raptured out of here, I'm the bride of Christ. And they're like, this just doesn't make sense to them, right? These things are revealed through the Holy Spirit that we get in us, right? And so that's the second mystery. i got to keep moving here. So the third mystery that we're going to uh, talk about, that we talk about with these seven mysteries that are uh, entrusted into us, is the mystery of Christ in you. 
The mystery of Christ in you. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 says, To whom God will make known what is the riches of His glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Try to explain to somebody that's lost that God of the universe lives inside of me all the time, never leaves. And not just me, but every other church-age believer. And try to have them look at you like you're not drunk on the Jesus juice, right? It's like, what? This is, it's a mystery. Like, you have God indwelled in the Holy Spirit, right, inside of you permanently as a, as a church-age believer. Like, that is something that is like, how do you explain that? I, I can't explain it other than trying to explain through circumstances in my life how it's worked, Right, But to believe that the God of the universe lives inside of you and it's not just a here and now kind of thing, but it's all the time, that's a mystery that we have to uh, protect. Because if we don't protect it, then what happens? Right? The, the, you know, God isn't really the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit really isn't God and the, the doctrine of the Trinity is just, just thrown out the window. Right? And so we have to protect these mysteries. You have to uh, be a good steward of these mysteries because if you're not, then everything that we believe gets thrown out. One piece at a time. One piece at a time. Some of these guys that just went through the the cults and religions class, like any one of these cults or religions, they just pull. They just start plucking these things, right? You know, just start pulling them. It's like a kid going out wanting to help mom pull weeds in the flower bed, and they start pulling the flowers. It's like, hey, we're only we're not pulling the good stuff here. You can't do that. That's what you know. That's what we're here for. So the mystery of Christ in you. So. A couple things about this. Again, I'm not going in depth in any of these because uh, I don't have time. We could take in a, a week for every one of these, but just so you know. Like, so in the Old Testament, so uh, the Holy Spirit came and went. Think about people like uh, Samson or uh, you know the, the guys in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come on them for a short amount of time and then it would leave. Right, and it came and went. In the Old Testament is how it worked. The the Spirit of God, you could pray the Spirit of God to come on you for whatever, and it would come, but then it would leave. Right, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell you permanently. Well, in the New Testament, it comes and it stays. It's a promise. Right, uh, the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit. Like, it is in you all the time. And so, uh, another fun fact that a lot of people maybe don't know is after the rapture, it goes back to the Old Testament style. The Holy Spirit will come and go. It won't be God indwelling you. You know, there will be there will be people that will quote unquote get saved after the rapture, but it's back to Old Testament style. It is back to doing it through works, right? And you will be judged uh, at the great white throne, right? But that's after the church age. And it's hard to, for people to understand that because they're like, that's not what I've been taught my entire life. It's a different dispensation. But just so you know, once you get past the rapture, when the church age ends, it goes back to there is no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But for now, the, the, the fact that we need to understand is that the God of the universe lives inside of you. That's a promise, and that's something that you have to protect. You have to understand that it is a mystery to the lost world. They're like, what? God lives inside of you? Yeah, okay. Uh, and, but no, that's the truth. Who in here would be like, no, that doesn't really happen? No, I mean, I've got proof of it throughout everything that's happened in my life since then. It only happens because of God. right? So, mystery of Christ in you. The next mystery, number four. The mystery of Israel's restoration. The mystery of Israel's restoration. So if I was, I should have done this at the beginning. If I was to, like, I know a lot of you guys have heard this. If I was to be like, hey, I need you all to list me the seven mysteries. Who could have done it? Like all seven of them off the top of your head. 
Like, even the guys that go through HBI, like, even if somebody would ask me, I've taught D2 five times now, like, five years in a row, probably. I don't know, maybe five or six. I don't, Paige could tell you. I have no idea. I would be like, I could get five of them really easy, and then I would have to think really hard. Just because you piece it all together. So that's why you, repetition is the price of learning. Yeah, here's Mitchell. He's digging through his notes. But, yeah, <laughs> that's good. No, it, it is. So the, the point is, so here's, here's where we kind of, this is one we kind of forget about sometimes. The mystery of Israel's restoration. The mystery of Israel's restoration. Romans chapter 11 and you guys should remember this because we just went through Romans not very long ago. But Romans chapter 11 and verse 25 says, For I would not, brethren, Paul speaking to the Israelites, right? Because he's talking about brethren. Uh, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Right? Blindness in part. It doesn't say that God cast them out and he replaced them with the church. That's called replacement theology. That's false, right? It doesn't say that, you know, God's completely done with Israel. It doesn't say that at all. It says that he's basically put them in time out, right? Uh, you can only listen to a kid do the wrong thing for so long before you're like, I'm going to lose my mind. You've got to, you got to go to your safe place for a while, right? Uh, you got to, you got to sit over here for a minute. That's where God has Israel right now. Uh, blindness in part, meaning they're still able to see, but for the most part, they have the blinders on. They don't see what's right in front of them. They miss the fact that Jesus came and lived. Their Messiah was here. They rejected him three times right in front of them. And I can tell you we're all three times where we'll get, that's a D2 thing, right? And so they had the opportunity three different times to accept him while he was here, and they didn't do it, right? And so it's his blindness in part has happened. Why? Because he's like, okay, I'm going to allow the church to come in for a minute, right? But it's for a short amount of time. And you might be like, short, it's been 2,000 years, right? Okay, well, that's a short amount of time when you consider eternity, okay? So the point is the mystery of Israel's restoration. What's the theme of the Bible? A king and his kingdom. The, the entire Bible is based around one theme. Some people would call it salvation. Some people would call it uh, God's plan, all these different things. It, if you really want to boil it down, uh, the, the theme of the Bible is a king and his kingdom. From the beginning, from the garden with Adam, it was a king and his kingdom, and they messed it up. And from Genesis 1 until the end of Revelation, it is God reconciling a king and his kingdom, right? That's what he's had. And his kingdom is who? It's Israel. It's always been Israel. It's always going to be Israel, right? Israel has always been and will always be God's chosen people. That doesn't mean that God loves the church any less. We get in like easy, like super easy compared to what Israel had to do. So don't ever get, get jealous of that, right? Israel is God's chosen people, right? Go back to the Abrahamic covenant when this thing was really established. He told Abraham, right? Hey, uh, I'm going to make your name great, right? He, he promises Abraham four things, a, a, a name, a land, a seed, and a blessing, right? He says, I'm going to give you all this land as far as you can see. That doesn't mean like it stops at the horizon. I mean, like it's all yours because that's the plan for Israel. The earth is theirs, right, to, to repopulate. And so uh, a, a, a land, a seed, he says, I'm going to multiply thy seed as the sand of the seashores. Like I don't know if you've ever been to the beach, but there's a lot of sand there. And so, like, there's a lot of people, or of the stars of the sky. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, give you a seed, right? I'm going to bless you. Like, I, it says that uh, all, all the nations who bless thee will be blessed, and all them that curse thee will be cursed, right? That's why it's always important that we support Israel, right? It's just wise. 
our country should support Israel. Uh, and then he says, hey, I'm going to make your name great. Right? All these things from the beginning of Genesis until the end. God's not done with Israel. They're in timeout right now, but don't use that as an occasion to the flesh that, oh, I've got all the time in the world because do you know when the rapture is going to happen? Like the exact time? Because I don't. I know that it is probably soon-ish, right? But I don't know what the, exactly that means. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen after my lifetime. I don't expect that. I don't know. All I know is, you know, the saying goes, you play with fire long enough, what's going to happen? Right? Right? You're, you're going to get burned. There's a funny story about that. Well, my brother got his finger in a table saw this week. And he did. He didn't cut it off. But, uh, yeah, I yeah, I got that text message earlier this week. I'm like, hey, FYI, your brother's in the emergency room. You got a finger in a table saw. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. The guy I work with every day, Tyler, he's missing a pinky because it went through a table saw. And I'm like, gosh. Now, so I... It, it, it got him, now that we're talking about it, it, he was catching a piece and he actually, it just got the end of it. They think they're going to get it to grow back. But I'm like, man, y'all got to be careful. The next day, I was ripping, uh, I had the table saw out and I was ripping a piece of threshold in a way that you probably shouldn't be ripping it. And I'm like, gosh, I'm not. Guess what? A 45 degree angle was not near steep enough. So we were shimming it up with another board and Anyway, it is, it is what it is. Anyway, yes, you play with fire long enough, I'm telling you, if you're somebody in the world that's like, oh, I got all the time in the world, right? You know, God's, the church age isn't over. I can get saved whenever I get older, whenever I, you know, have a little more fun. I'm telling you, you play with fire long enough, you're probably going to get burned. That's all I can tell you. All right, so the, the mystery of Israel's re, uh, uh, restoration, that's, that's the, the fourth one. Oh, my gosh, we've got to get moving. Uh, the next one, uh, the mystery of the rapture of the church, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. 1 Corinthians 15.51 says, uh, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Meaning we won't all die, but there will be a point sometime that, that we will all be changed. But some of us are going to be raptured out before we die. That's what he's talking about. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 goes into more uh, depth of this. Um, this is kind of the, the passage on uh, the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 14, uh, it says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even uh, so them which also sleep, meaning have died in Jesus, those who were saved and died, that's what he's talking about, uh, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we uh, which are alive and remain uh, unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Meaning, those of us who are still alive, if the rapture was to happen today, let's just use a, 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 a hypothetical. If the rapture was to happen today, just because we get raptured out doesn't mean we have anything to do with those who were saved before us that died. We have nothing to do to prevent those from being raptured as well. Okay, so they're going to be, and it goes on to say, uh, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Right? And so it, it says that they will be res, or raptured first. What that looks like, I don't know. I know everybody says, you know, you hear the trumpet, you better be ready for the rapture. Uh, I'm thinking that when you start seeing like the cemetery shake and uh, bodies uh, uh, rapturing out of the ground, and like that might be a, a, a good uh, inclination that the rapture is happening because it says that they will rise first. Okay, 
I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. It doesn't give us a complete and clear uh, picture, but I'm just saying that, that it says that they will rise first. So the, the, the mystery of the rapture of the church. So it says that we will meet them in the clouds. We will meet Jesus in the clouds. That's where uh, it says comfort you, uh, one another with these words. Try to explain that to the lost world. That, hey, there might be a day when I just get, uh, you know, beat me up out of here, Scotty, right? Uh, you know, just I'm just going to be gone. And they're like, you are really... This Jesus stuff has really got to you, right? And that's this is one of the mysteries, but it's clear as day in in the Word of God. Uh, a picture of this in the Old Testament was Enoch. It says that Enoch uh, walked with God and he was not, right? I Meaning he didn't die, but he was. Uh, he, God took him, and so there there will be some Christians at some uh, time period in life that will be walking with God and they will be not, right? They won't suffer the second death um, of or, or the first death. I mean, not the second death. Obviously, if we're saved, we're not going to suffer the second death. We're saved. So, anyway, so that's the mystery of the rapture of the church. I got to keep moving. Uh, the mystery of iniquity. I promise, if you if you take D two, uh, you get these all in depth. We spend a lot of time on this because it's important stuff. Uh, the mystery of iniquity. Second Thessalonians, chapter two. Second Thessalonians two seven says. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The mystery of iniquity, who are we talking about? Uh, really, uh, Satan himself. You know, the Antichrist is uh, more tied to the next one, uh, mystery of Babylon the Great. But uh, the Antichrist is just a, a pawn of the devil, right? And so the mystery of iniquity has been around from the beginning. Uh, the devil takes over the world through... Peaceful deception, right? This would be when we start talking about the the, the tribulation period. And so, uh, again, we talk about this stuff in D2. I don't really love talking about end time stuff because there's enough stuff that we're not getting done right now that we don't need to be worried about the stuff that we won't even be a part of because we raptured out at the beginning of this. But just a real quick uh, how this is going to go. So the rapture is going to happen. All saved Christians will be gone. And then uh, the first half of the tribulation period, it's how long? Yeah, it is. The, the, the rapture or not the rapture, the tribulation period total is seven years, right? The first three and a half years, you're right, Caleb, uh, are what they call um, the first half of the trib, and it's it's very peaceful, right? Um, and, you know, Antichrist comes in, he somehow smoozes the right people in the world, and it's very peaceful deception. Uh, he, What's that? It's the beginning of sorrows, what it's called, yeah. And then the second half is called the Great Tribulation, yeah. But... Uh, it's, it's referenced that in the Bible. Like, you know, try not to get too deep because, like, some of this stuff is, like, it's, even when you're taking it in D2, it's like, no, hang on a minute, slow down. And But anyway, so uh, you're raptured out, but this is how this thing plays out. The first three and a half years, the, the, the devil, uh, the Antichrist, he basically sets up some sort of rule and reign. They start to uh, sacrifice again uh, in Jerusalem, all the things. It makes it seem like this is how it was supposed to be the whole time, that the, the, the church was wrong the entire time. Right? And so something happens at the, the midpoint of the tribulation. We call it the abomination of desolation. Uh, all of a sudden, something that ought not be sacrificed starts to get sacrificed. Uh, and basically, the Antichrist sits down on the throne of God. What that is, I don't know. Uh, if I had to guess, it's probably some sort of human sacrifice. But uh, things that ought not be going, and then the eyes of the world are open very quickly. Right, And so when we think of the tribulation, we think of all these plagues and all these things. And the first three and a half years are very peaceful. The only thing that's uh, really weird is that all of these quote-unquote Christians are gone. 
right? And I'm sure the media will find some way to explain that away in a couple months, and the world will go on about what it does. And so for, you know, three and a half years, this goes on, and then the midpoint of the tribulation happens. It's called the abomination of desolation, and things get really wicked really quickly. And then the second half of the trib, the second half of the seven years, is called the great tribulation. This is where we know there's the wrath of God being poured out, right? All the the vials and all the things, right? Uh, Those things happen. And so we can get into that stuff later. After the last half, after the seven years, this is where the Bible references that day. Anytime you're reading and you come across the phrase that day, day of the Lord, all these things, uh, those aren't, that's a really cool study to do, but those aren't just, you know, phrases. Like they're all pointing towards something. It's the second coming of Christ. It is where Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation period, uh, and he's not coming back near as peaceful as he did the first time. Uh, he's ready, uh, as Stone Cold would say, to open up a can of something, right? And uh, he's, he's going to get something done. And we actually, as the church, come back with him, uh, ready to fight. And so that all plays out. We don't have time to talk about it, but that's the mystery of iniquity. It's, it's the mystery that the, the devil is going to deceive the world uh, during the tribulation period, and a lot of suffering is going to happen. And the very last one uh, is the mystery of Babylon the Great. Revelation 17.5. Uh, Revelation 17.5 says... And upon her forehead, who is her? We'll go back and read, but we're talking about uh, a uh, not-so-nice woman. The Bible calls her something. But, uh, uh, and, and upon her forehead was the name written. There's not very many places in the Bible that it's all capital letters. But this is. Might be important. Mystery. Babylon the Great. The mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. Uh, Bible also calls her the great whore, right? And I'm just telling you what it says, right? This is not good. And so the mystery of Babylon uh, the Great, uh, this is the religious and political system behind the Antichrist that Chris was referencing, right? The Antichrist is just simply a, a tool of the devil um, that is set up, but this is the system that, this is where some churches kind of go off the deep end, you know, start talking about, well, you see what's going on in the world? And I do see what's going on in the world, but I also know that I also know who's in charge, and I also know what the end of it looks like. And um, But there is a uh, religious and political system, and um, I'll let you do the math on what religions get tied into politics a lot and how all that is going to play out um, with the... The, all of that, so I'm not going to throw out names, but we can talk later. So anyway, there's, it's just the system of, of how all this is played out. From the beginning uh, of Jewish history, there's always been some great king oppressing the nation of Israel, and this continues on all the way through the Antichrist, right? Go back to uh, Sennacherib and uh, Alexander the Great. Like There's a whole list of them we talk about through D2. And so just that it's a mystery, though. When you try to explain this to the lost world, they're like, do what? Right? These are things that we as the church, and it talks about in Corinthians, Paul's like, hey, if you're going to judge me, judge me on the things that I'm actually going to be judged on. How am I doing as a steward of the mysteries? Am I taking care of the things that God had me take care of? So that's why we're talking about these things, not because you need the knowledge, although it is wise for you to know these, but how are you doing as a, uh, a steward of these things? Are you stewarding them well? Or when somebody says, well, what, what are you talking about with this you know, Christ in you? And you're like, ah, oh, it's something the church teaches. No, you need to be able to explain these things. You are a steward of these things. You should be able to give an answer of these things because if we don't, then the, the core doctrines that we believe are thrown out. That's in every one of these things. It's not a coincidence. It says these are mysteries in the Bible, right? Things that were referenced before but are made clear in the New Testament. So 
There we go. Sorry, I'm a minute over. You might be like, how does that have anything to do with Corinthians? Because Paul brought it up. And he's like, hey, if you're going to judge me, and if you're going to call me out on who are you to judge me, uh, judge me on the things that God is going to hold me accountable for. How am I doing on those things? And then he goes right back on to his rebuke of, now let's talk about what you guys have got going on in the church at Corinth. So uh, with that, um, let these things mull in your heads. There's a lot there. If you got questions, let me know. Um, they're good to know. But... Uh, no class next week, 10.30 service, Fabulous Fifth, Church on the Park the following week, so be there for that. Um, I don't think it's rained a single year that we've done this, so just pray that it doesn't rain and, and that lost people come and it'll be good. So anyway, with that, huh? Yeah, it's never been rained out, so I'm sure if it's just like pouring that morning, we'll still have church. It's not like church is canceled, we'll just be here, so... Anyway, with that, let's pray and uh, we'll get out of here. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, just being good to us, Lord. I thank you for your word and just the truth that's in it. And uh, some of these things are like way over our head, God. And some of these things are uh, things we've learned and we're still trying to figure out and how to apply. And uh, Lord, I pray that these things would be uh, just uh, found secure in our heart. These are the main things that we believe, God. And so uh, if these things aren't true, then our faith isn't true. And so I do pray that uh, you would just uh, allow these things to settle in and uh, just uh, really be made manifest in our lives. I pray that we are good stewards of these things. You've given them to us, and uh, it's something really important to you. So I pray that we would take it as serious as we would uh, taking care of somebody else's kids or, or anything like that. And so, God, I do pray that we would not take light uh, of the things that you have us to do. And so, Lord, I do... Uh, Thank you for what you're doing in the Passpoint class. There's a lot of stuff happening, all these different families and those who aren't here today and are busy in the ministry. And, and God, I do just pray that you're getting the honor and the glory from all of it. I pray for Luke as he preaches this morning, uh, just to be uh, just uh, fruitful to the body. Uh, I pray for Mitch as he's uh, uh, just promoting up kids into the, the youth. And uh, more, more than anything, Lord, I just pray for... Uh, these students, whether they be HBI students who are graduating, whether they be high school students that are graduating, whether they be kids moving into the youth, that you would just give them wisdom on the next step of their life. Uh, We always want to know what the next right step is, God, so I pray that you would just make those things clear to us, whether it be uh, keep doing what we're doing or uh, to step out by faith and do something different. So God, I pray you would just give us wisdom uh, and that we as a church would uh, just uh, rally around uh, all of them uh, in those decisions. So I pray you just uh, uh, preach to us today or or get the, the glory from the word today in Christ's name. Amen.